podcast where we seek to broaden our cinematic horizons. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful, clumsy secret agent counterparts, Joel Lewis. <laughs> Howdy. And Tim Gerard. Hello. I mean, come on, you guys are way too talkative to be secret agents. That's why you're on a podcast. <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar with Movie Mumble, it's a monthly <coughs> podcast where we get together, watch a film, and then talk about it. The goal is to introduce ourselves to new films, genres, styles, and themes. We each take turns picking a film to watch, whether it's one we've already seen and love, or something completely new and unfamiliar, then watch it together in the hope that we find unexpected new joys along the way. There aren't really any rules regarding which films we can pick. They can be foreign or domestic, live action or animated, new or old, famous or obscure, anything at all. After we've watched each movie, we talk about the film and see where that leads us, whether it's discussing the film's context or production, talking about our own personal movie memories, or something else altogether. At the end of each podcast, we will announce what we're watching next month, so you can sort of watch along with us if you'd like. Keep in mind, we will not withhold spoilers for anything we watch, so if you're worried about spoilers, you might want to watch the film before you listen to its episode. Mm -hmm. This month, Joel was our movie selector, and he Yay. brought us On Her Majesty's Secret Service, oh, God, the James glorious. Bond film from 1969, and the only one with George Lazenby. In the title role. Starting with this series, we're trying something new at the beginning of each episode. There's going to be a coin toss, and then based on that coin toss, one of the people who didn't pick the film will summarize it at the beginning. Yes. This is for comedy as much as efficiency. <laughs> but since Joel picked the film, he's going to do our coin toss, and how it comes up determines whether I or Tim will be summarizing for you. <laughs> this particular one will be, uh, it'll be a big deal who yes, summarizes. Yes, There's a big difference than us. So, and for the coin toss, we have a lovely 1896 Morgan Silver Dollar, oh, yes. which is much lauded. And Just the weight, really it's fun. solid. It's, this is a two-faced coin, people. <laughs> I mean, this is real money right here. That's excellent. So we will have Tim call it in the air, mm -hmm. and whichever lands, they will deter. They will get to pick whether they reduce the other person. All right, mm -hmm. here we go. Tails. It's heads. That was a good toss, Joel. <laughs> not not just because of the result, but also <laughs> the actual mechanics of the toss. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna say Tim, please. Thank God. Summarize the movie <laughs> for us. Damn it. So we need um, to we need to preface this that Tim hasn't seen this movie. Tim has only seen the Brosnan and Craig Bond films. Joel and I have seen all of them many times. Which is why we're glad for this result. <laughs> so Tim, please. Uh, Remember, it is okay. for comedy as much as seriousness, so okay. if it's, it's just whatever comes out, comes out. It's all good. We're going to have a real discussion afterwards, so, don't worry. Okay, so <laughs> here, here, here's my sort of disclaimer, and this is going to make me sound really stupid, but in any Bond film I've seen, I, I never know, like, what the actual point is. Like, <laughs> like, what is he... Okay, I know that this guy's a bad guy, and he's trying to blow shit up, but how did we figure out he's a bad guy? Or do you that's the point. There's, there's, there's so much... So it's like, okay, so... Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, what, uh, what, what points to sort of grasp onto. So, the, uh, well, the, okay, the first thing that really grabbed me... Maybe I'll do it this way. So I was like... You know, did, did, did are we starting halfway through the film? Like it was in the middle of like this gust, and then like cars were driving. It was just like, what, what's going on? Tim had difficulty with the cold open, which yeah. is a Bond staple. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean that's a part of his experience with the newer films, and not the older ones. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's where I was already. I thought I was missing half the film. Um, and then sort of the next big thing I noticed was like, hey, isn't that Grandma Tyrell from Game of Thrones? <laughs> He's right. He <laughs> And this time you dated the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's Damn it. Hey, now I have to talk about Matrix. Down. Damn it. <laughs> yes, you do. Or Blockbuster. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Um, so, so Grandma Tyrell. Those were your first impressions. Yeah. So, so her her dad uh, <laughs> wants James Bond to make an honest woman of her. Of all the people to pick, you and, pick James Bond. Yeah, really. Um, and then James Bond is like, okay, you know, I, I don't know if if she could be tamed, but 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 sure, we'll see what happens. And then he. He somehow, for some reason, is like, oh, but there's this guy I have to impersonate to go to this thing where this doctor is doing all these experiments and curing people of allergies. And, and I was like, okay, like, why is this happening? Like, I don't fuck, I don't know. I really hope the audience has seen this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm really grateful really that you so. are having I to tell them. I hope they're familiar with Bond, and they're just sitting there, their mouths on the floor. <laughs> like, you asshole. Um. So so he goes and he and he's um, uh, also speaking of sort of dating this podcast too. There were a few uh, uh, jokes that were made, and not to get political about it, but uh, the character that he was supposed to impersonate his name it was, it was a guy named Hillary. So that sort of came up a few times as we were watching this, um, and then so he goes there, and I guess his character. Was, was supposed to be gay I got that impression by the girls were talking like saying oh that was because there was like it was only other women there it was like him and all these other women and they're all flirting with him because they haven't seen a man in however long and they're like oh I guess that's what he's allergic to because he wasn't responding to all of their advances <laughs> and at first you kind of think like oh wow that's cool like James Bond has this other woman that he's kind of been like seeing before he came out to do this so maybe he's gonna you know be a good guy and like no, he beds like two or three of them in the first night, um, and uh, so they're like, "Oh, you're not really allergic to women." And then uh, he gets found out that he's actually James Bond, and it's uh, Telly Telly Savalas. That's his name, right? Yeah, the Kojak. He was the bad guy. It's the bald guy with the hat with the the white cat that uh, Doctor Evil's based on. Uh, which of course is oh, I'm like, oh yeah, it's Doctor Evil, you know. And it's again one <laughs> of those Savalas, things, yeah. yeah. One of those things that's like, oh, you know, like you, you jerk, like this came way before Austin Powers, and you know, um, so anyway, so, and then there's just a bunch of like everything I hoped it would be. <laughs> this description is everything I hoped it would be, and everything I knew it wasn't going to be. <laughs> uh, so, so then, like, you know, he puts him in this room with all these gears, and he has to escape, and he makes mittens out of his pockets. <laughs> So he can, okay. So this brings up a good point: is that what I kind of knew James Bond to be about is like the gadgets, like the ones I've seen. That's the whole thing with Q, and I made these gadgets for you, and then like half of them he never uses, but then he uses some of them, and so yeah. So that was kind of that became one of the jokes: is like his gadget, his secret secret agent gadgets, were his like mitten pockets. So he's like climbing out on this cable and gets out, and he escapes, and then. Uh, he ends up like skiing away from the bad guys and um yeah it wasn't even and uh, oh okay that's right there was this whole plot about what this guy was going to do with the women that he's been like hypnotizing <laughs> and curing of their uh allergies <clears throat> he's going to release some sort of virus or something and of course that was that was the moment of the bond villain um revealing his plot to james bond you know, and oh, I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. You well, thought me monologuing. Yes. Right, yes. And, um, you know, we also, we all thought how cool it was, like the way he held his cigarettes and like all of us want to start smoking now. Um, 
cool. And I wonder if that was sort of like with the lead into like Kojak with his like lollipop. If it was like, oh well, we can't have you smoking because that's like we'll give you a lollipop instead, and that could be your oral fixation tool. <laughs> so, so anyway, so then, uh, yeah, he skis away and like his he he ends up at this like carnival with fireworks and he's trying to escape them. And then, like, the, the woman from the beginning, Grandma Tyrell, she comes back and she's like, oh, she just happens <laughs> to be there, I guess. And she's just like, oh, hey. And she's like, oh, can you help me escape? And they go to some, some barn and he proposes to her. And, uh, you know, the, and then the next morning. Uh, oh, and this was yeah, something that was convenient, too, is when they're driving away, she had uh, two pairs of skis on top, mounted on top of her car. We're like, oh, why does she have two pairs of skis? Like, she's supposed to be with James Bond. Like, that's her fiance, but he wasn't there. So why does she have four? But then, uh, you know, conveniently the next morning, they both escape by skiing away as the um, the bad guy comes to get them. And then there's an avalanche, and they both kind of get covered in snow. And then the bad guys kidnap um, Grandma Tyrell. And then I... I I wish I knew her name, but I, I that's kind a of, Game by of now, Thrones reference for anyone who isn't familiar. By the yeah. way, Tim, this should be the podcast. <laughs> this is still this is probably this is the most more I've of spoken. a walkthrough than a summary. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> You're just summarizing the plot of movies. I can't summarize oh something God. I don't understand. Tim summarizes things. <laughs> so how do you ever describe am anything I, to anyone? Am I like the guy from Ant Man? <laughs> <laughs> Dating the podcast again. Damn it, that's my shtick, man. <laughs> okay, so you have to make a blockbuster oh, and a Matrix reference. So, <laughs> okay, so they kidnap, they kidnap Tracy. Yeah, and then Tracy, that's her name. <laughs> You're welcome. So then, you know, Bond meets up with her dad and is like, oh, you have to help me save her. And they come in with these helicopters and they, you know, convince Telly Savalas' character and they're like, oh, don't shoot us. And then they, because we're bringing supplies or something. And then you know they start shooting up the place and then they escape and they have a bomb in in the the building to blow it all up and then um you know james bond is in there and they're trying to get tracy out she's like no but he's still in there and then her dad just like punches her in the face just like (laughs) knock her out and be like oh we're getting you out of here and he's like oh spare the rod spoil the child i was like just like oh yeah, I guess that's... That's not an exaggeration. That actually happens, listeners. That, like that's, this, yeah, that's dead cold on. coxer. And uh, so then James Bond does end up escaping. He sort of jumps out as the building is exploding. And the, the, the two of them are, are sort of racing on a, a bobsleds, um, which was really kind of interesting. Like, I, the idea of, like, a chase, I feel like usually in a movie when you have a chase, there's a chance that the person in front is going to lose the person... But it's like there, there's one path that they're both following. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of impressed with the way they made it like exciting between you know James Bond like trying to catch up with him and they're shooting each other and he's like hitting the brakes so it's spitting snow up in James Bond's face and at one point he's got a grenade and he's holding it by the pin in his mouth and then the grenade drops but the pin's still in his mouth so he's going to scramble and catch it and throw it back there and then the grenade blows up and sends James Bond flying into the snow but then he's able to jump on the bobsled of the guy in front and now they're you know he's dragging him along and um, eventually uh, where they both like crash Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere comes like the Saint Bernard immediately. He's just like, oh hey, like he was expecting him, like oh hey James Bond, and he like puts his paw right in his mouth, <laughs> which freaked me out because I'm a germaphobe and I hate my cat. Sometimes will when he wants to wake me up will like touch my lip and it freaks me out because <laughs> <laughs> those paws have been in cat litter. <laughs> um, and then it's like everything's fine, and then the next thing you know, like James Bond's getting married to Tracy, and it's like oh that's great, and. Um, 
you know, it's like I, I you know, I kind of saw where this was going, and I was like, oh, okay, so is she gonna die in a Jason Bourne sort of way? So then, of course, they're driving away all happy, and then you know, they're they're pulled off on the side of the road, and this car comes by, and it's the 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 Telly Savalas's character and this other like German Bill woman, his yeah. assistant woman, right? yeah, assistant, and she just like riddles they the car with game bullets. They her. I mean, drive by her. Yeah. And they take off, and he's like, oh, that was so-and-so, let's go get him. And he gets in the car, and you see that there's, like, blood on her forehead, and the windshield has a bullet hole in it, and she's dead. And, and that's how it ends. That's how it ends. That was the conclusion of the first episode of Movies in One Breath by Tim Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Soon yeah. to be repeated every damn podcast. <laughs> Joel's uh, be like, oh, I don't have my coin. Tim, we have to go with the last coin toss. Scott, you win. Yeah, for sure. All right. It's like uh, every game of truth or dare I've ever played. So... Well, thank you for being such a great sport, Tim. This is a really important Bond film, both in Bond world, on screen and off, yeah. for so many reasons. So let's let's talk about our backgrounds in Bond real quick, just so we can kind of, and we'll give we'll give Tim a minute to breathe here. Let's, <laughs> yeah, as we established, Tim watched the Pierce Brosnan films and the Daniel Craig films, yeah. and none others. So this is his first old Bond film, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean that's that's really important. His first yeah. pre-Brosnan because there was a gap. Between Dalton and Brosnan, a pretty solid gap. Yeah. So maybe maybe we can talk about uh, first ones that we've seen, the one we've seen most frequently, mm-hmm. favorites, uh, least favorites. Sure, sure, I like that. And then like your like history with because it. it's kind. Bond has a way of being kind of like a father passes to son kind of thing. Everybody has a good Bond story. So, I started with Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. My dad brought home from Blockbuster one day. Ah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I have no stick. Yeah. No. You have the Matrix. No. What, is, what is it? What is Scott reference? Because that'll be the thing you have to reference. <laughs> That's the thing. It's been nebulous. It's been different every time. I have to come up with something else. Who <laughs> can't pin me down too fast? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my dad brought home Tomorrow Never Dies because he thought it was the most recent. Rolled, the Roll's Not Enough was actually the most recent okay. at the time, but... He, the way they were lined up in the blockbuster acts, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. Our blockbuster wasn't terribly neat, a local one, so whatever. So that was my first. And it remains one of my favorites, okay. actually. I, it really does. It's, it's up there, for sure. I, I don't remember what order I watched the rest of them in then. I, I think maybe I concluded the Brosnan ones after uh-huh. that, just because I wanted to stick with those, or perhaps I went back and watched them in order. Blockbuster facilitated that for me had them all lined up all together it was great <laughs> my most watched is probably Moonraker yes I, okay well no so once I got the full set and could pick what I liked uh-huh. my most watched is Moonraker mm-hmm. other than that my most watched are Tide Diamonds Are Forever and Live and Let Die because they were the first ones I owned in a little box set that had two video cassettes and had both of those in there I think it was a part of all the movies were being sold in pairs mm-hmm. those two got put together I I don't know. So for a while, those were the only ones I owned. So I've watched them the most, just because of that. Mm-hmm. Once I got all the set, yeah, it was probably Moonraker. Uh, with with GoldenEye, Tomorrow Never Dies, and Die Another Day very close behind together. And okay. trio, I kind of let the world not enough fall by the wayside. <laughs> Least favorite? Ugh. Either A View to a Kill or License to Kill. Mm. They're both not View to a Kill is Roger Moore's last. Yes. And License to Kill is Timothy Dalton's last. Yeah. His second. <laughs> His second. Yeah. All right. Oh. Favorite. Yeah, you 
can't. This is this is this is the quintessential Bond fan question. I really can't answer that (laughs) because Bond is so many different things, even just to me. And the films cover so many. They cover the cheesy, comedy laden films, and they cover the serious Bond films. Mm. And I couldn't. I really don't think I can pick one. It just depends on my mood. Yeah, depends on what I want. So I guess to that end, whether I want a lighthearted film, Moonraker, or I want a serious film. Maybe Skyfall, actually. Okay, no, that's, serious that's films. fair. <clears throat> or maybe even From Russia with Love, which isn't entirely serious, mm. but is much more on the serious side. Gotcha. Yeah. Joel, please, your Bond history. <sighs> this could be long. Um, <laughs> so, when we when my family moved to Colorado, we stayed with my uh, aunt and uncle, and they lived in Arvada. And they had this really cool basement with this entertainment center and this VH box set of James Bond films and it was a weird motley crew of them and it was it was Dr. No From Russia With Love Goldfinger You Only Live Twice and then it was No Thunderball maybe they had Thunderball but I never watched it when I was little and then uh, Live and Let Die was and then uh, For Yours Eyes Only those are the ones I remember I can see the boxy the, yeah. the, the picture the spines yeah. all lined up so spines, edges, you know. honestly I think I started with Dr. No thinking it was the third one huh. that was, that's always been a weird thing in my mind started there I think I watched that one and then You Only Live Twice and then Live and Let Die mm-hmm. so I had a weird continuity thing but they were so cool that I didn't care Yeah, I watched Bond them cool. oh, like over and over and over they were really really cool they stuck out in my mind um, so, first one was Dr. No. One I most frequently rewatch would probably be Live and Let Die. Um, least favorite. Because I want to say World is Not Enough, but that's the, that's the first Bond film I saw in the theater. So it has a special place in my heart being, but it's, it's very, very boring. Um, I missed the train on that, which is pretty close. It was Die Another Day for me. Because, like I said, I, my dad thought Tomorrow Never Dies had been most recent, but mm-hmm. it was because the world had not enough had just finished its run that he was reminded of Bond. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you with v- View to a Kill mm-hmm. being just it's it's the the very last Roger Moore. You can tell he's exhausted. Oh, oh my God! I completely forgot the existence of Quantum of Solace, <laughs> which I guess makes it my least well, favorite. See, I was going to bring it up, but I I have found a way to make that film watchable. I, yeah, I have to try your way before yeah. I pass final judgment. Um, I've found that if you watch Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace back to back, the narrative through makes it a lot more watchable. But by itself, that film is difficult. So. Because there may be people out there like Tim. Mm. Bond, Bond's long history really makes it difficult to generalize. Yeah. You have to break it into smaller chunks. Absolutely. Because, I mean, just because of its nature, the way the film's changed over time, sometimes because of filmmaking and changing social views and whatnot. You know, uh, the women are, of course, a great example. The, the, whole, the women in the franchise were treated a lot less misogynistically by the stories, mm. especially starting in the Brosnan era. Yeah. became much more capable. Especially with Judy Dench coming in as M. That was a huge thing. Brosnan's Bond doesn't smoke. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, so, but, but not just with the Brosnan era, but all, all sorts of changes all across. These mm-hmm. started in the 60s and are still going. Yeah. So It's the longest running film franchise periods. of all time. Mm. 
and a lot of the films really are products of their time. Yeah. And that's why there's so many different things to so many different people because mm -hmm. they, they were what people wanted at the time. Mostly. <laughs> and that's why so many things change across the films so drastically and why it's so hard to generalize. I definitely saw that with the, the Daniel Craig ones, like how there was so much more of a sense of realism to them. Yeah. I feel like that's Absolutely. what people want you know it's like there was the realism yeah of, there were the so Dark many brought yeah into exactly James Bond, yeah you know? like there were so many things that were so fantastical and it's like no we want to we want to believe that this can be real like make me believe this can be real and i feel like that's that was the um the big and that's why i feel like i didn't i, I remember not liking the later pierce brosnan ones as much like mm -hmm. i really liked golden eye and then i feel like it really went off and then daniel craig was like nope we're gonna ground this in reality yeah. and i really liked casino royale um <clears throat> And then I actually haven't seen the most recent Daniel Craig, so I haven't even Spectre. seen Spectre yet. Ah, okay. So at some point we'll have to bring that back to discussion mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, why, might as well. I, so the, the earlier films, Tim, deal with Spectre, this global reach evil agency. It's it's your your anti Justice League, Injustice oh, okay. Game, whatever you know. <clears throat> pick pick your favorite supervillain lineup. It's, yeah. it's that. It's it's that they're global. They're not restricted by countries. They have number one, number two, number ten, number five. They're all the sort of board of directors meeting oh, okay. under this mysterious leader Blofeld. Mm -hmm. And the Bond films spend their entire life until Roger Moore comes along, up until Diamonds Are Forever and, and, and then Roger Moore, mm -hmm. dealing with Spectre. Yep. Dr. No doesn't necessarily deal with Spectre, but they, but they retcon him in yeah. okay. the second movie. They mention they, the Spectre villains are talking and they talk about Dr. No. Okay. So it's all basically Bond dismantling this organization from the bottom up. Mm. And... And in this one, Spectre... He comes real close. Yeah, and... He gets to Blofeld. And then Spectre, like... Kills his wife. Yeah. This why was as important in Bond world, too. Not out, not just outside of it as the only Lazenby film and, and all sorts of other reasons, but inside of it, because it's Bond gets married. He's thinking about retiring. It's sort of what they pulled in Casino Royale, but in ten minutes. They pulled uh -huh. with an entire film here. Yeah. And, and, and it ends with that drive-by, and Blofeld murders Bond's wife. Which is probably why Diamonds Are Forever, the cold open, involves Bond not on mission, just hunting Blofeld. Mm. It, it characterizes James much more deeply than a lot of other films did. Yeah. Actually, much more deeply than almost <clears throat> anything did up until Casino Royale. Maybe License to Kill, with what it happened to Felix. Oh, Felix. Uh, poor Felix. This, this character is, is a tragedy of bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> a victim of bad writing. But, uh, but always fun to see show up, especially in Live and Let Die. Yeah. So Spectre's a big deal. So for for him to get this close to Blofeld in this film and it to end the way it does mm -hmm. is, is was a, was serious, you know, at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's I'm really I'm trying hard to think here. It's one of the few Bond films that has a sad ending, just outright. Mm -hmm. You know, even Skyfall has this tone of optimism when Bond steps into the new office yeah. with the padded door and yeah. speaks to the new M. It has this sort of swing up to ah now things begin, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. This is the bond just, we know. She dies, and he's holding her body in his arms and saying they have all the time in the world, and credits. That's it. There's it no was devastating. The yeah. first time I... We usually talk about the first time or what has brought you mm -hmm. to this film. Like, I, I would, had slowly been building my collection. I was like, I might as well grab the Lays and Bees and grab the Daltons, because I hadn't seen those. And I popped this one, and I was like, oh, my God. It, 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 it's, it comments and references the history of what comes before 
and it, it it plays off the fact that it's not Sean Connery, and I think it, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. like well the the first line you really said to the other fellow yeah, mm-hmm. and in for him we get to see his desk he has these mementos from the previous missions yeah that was just really cool and you see him fall in love in a genuine way it's not I mean he does have wild sex that's what he's he does but you really Only see women in one night yeah. <laughs> But this the montage of him and Tracy really like getting to know each other, and we see him on vacation, truly on vacation for the first time, mm-hmm. and he gets the information from her father that about Blofeld at the beginning of that. But he still takes the time to enjoy himself for the first time, mm-hmm. and you, there's a genuine connection set to a very strange Louis Armstrong song, <laughs> <laughs> which has become the de facto theme of the film. Yeah. You may or may not have noticed in the intro credits, the Honor Majesty Secret Service song has no words. Yeah. Apparently, I've heard because uh, John Barry just didn't think of a way he could fit that phrase into a song. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really blame him if that's the case. Mm-hmm. And so, All Time in the World has become the Bond song for that film. Okay. Yeah. You see him married, and you, it, it's such a devastating end. Yeah. Secret Service is remembered as the black sheep of the Bond series. Mm-hmm. I think rightly, for a lot of reasons, largely because of Lazenby, if you look at his only film. Mm-hmm. And then not just because we got some new actor afterwards, but because we got Connery back. Yeah. Uh, but uh, plot-wise, too, you know, it's, it's, it's that deep characterization of Bond and the marriage. Yeah. And I think it suffers, and I can see why it's less popular, not entirely just because of Lazenby. You know, whose performance I think was solid. Yeah, I think he fills the suit well. I think he's oh, physical. He's, he cuts a great, great figure. I don't think he's a terribly bad actor or anything. No. I, it was interesting to see his fighting style. That dude uppercuts all day. Oh. All uppercuts all day. And it, he's a very physical Bond, and I think he had to be to, 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 to hold a candle to what Sean Connery, who had a background in stunt work yeah like he had to physically impose on stage and that first or on screen that first sequence is a great example of that he's mm-hmm. he's tussling he's throwing stuff around like it's a very physical bond there's this this film feels a little lost to me a little mm-hmm. worried like they're kind of a little lost in the dark kind of where, where are we going what about this what if we add that and the last couple Connery's feel that way to me too like Thunderball just a touch mm-hmm. and you'll live twice a little more and I almost feel like Secret Service would have been that way even if they'd had Connery just plot wise mm-hmm. would have been a little just kind of stuff lumped together yeah and that adding the extra uncertainty of the first non-Connery film and uh, do, what do we do to alleviate that how much do we want to sort of parade Lazenby around and how right. much do we want to just hide him and go oh no it's still the same and, right. and it's sort of back and forth uh, what do we do and it just, it just feels that way. Some of the later Moors feel that way, too. Certainly, It's not something that's unique to this film. Right. But I think it came Is together it? in a particular way with the approach of Blofeld. You know, you know, did they use clips? They used clips from the other films in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Did they yeah. do that because they wanted to all lead up to this important moment? Or did they do that because they were uncertain? It's like, here's the things movie? that you liked. You know, right. I, we, I don't know. And, and I think a lot of that all came together in this one spot. to just really sort of hobble the film a little bit, just mm-hmm. a bit. Because 
Diamonds Are Forever is a bit like that too. They just throw locations and scenes yeah. and set pieces at you. Moon landings, you know, uh, the, the moon landing <laughs> set, all this stuff. They just throw it on the screen. You know, much the same way they just throw shit on here. Oh, more skiing. Oh, cable car. Oh, pocket mittens. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, call his organized crime buddy. <coughs> but it's less of a problem in Diamonds because Diamonds doesn't take itself so seriously. Hmm. It's a lot more, a lot looser. It's a lot more. Oh, hey, you know, Connery's back, the old buddy's here. Let's just have fun. Mm-hmm. They do. And so it helps that we don't really care about how crazy the nonsense is because it's just fun. Here, there is some fun stuff, but there's the real serious stuff too. And I think they have trouble balancing them. I think it's also interesting that they switched up the actor who played Blofeld as well. Yeah. From um, You Only Live Twice, which it's, it's interesting that those two central figures are switched but we have the same support staff mm-hmm. uh, same money pain same M, M same Q Q of course yeah. we don't get a, a Felix in this one he's all over the place with casting yeah. um, I mean that just I I didn't even think that was Blofeld at first well he's and, and he, yeah of, he's not oh, supposed to be right except that I, I mean I knew it was because I've seen the film right. before and I still sort of doubted myself and it's, I was rem- trying to remember how it all worked out. That Like, he doesn't recognize James, though he saw him in the previous film. <laughs> right. So then, you know, how much of that meta has never happened to the other fellow is, if anything, gave rise to the idea that the Bond, Bond is a name that gets passed from person yeah. to person, this film probably helped. And that has its critics and has right. its caveats. I, I like it a lot. That's but. its own thing. So, so, Tim, so, Tim, how did Bond initially come into your life? Well, I actually have a question before that. Sure. Um, so do you, do you think, and I wonder how much of this, I mean, maybe maybe nothing, maybe I'm just trying to force meaning onto it, but, you know, how, how he's kind of known to be a player to just kind of bed all these women. Um, do you think maybe part of the idea of having him get married and then lose his wife is a way of explaining and, and getting the audience to have sympathy for him when he's, you know, kind of, treating these women you know very very casually very just sort of like oh yeah whatever you're just an object to me because it's like oh well it's because he's been so damaged and he he can't bear to get close to someone else and he's you know that's sort of why he has to kind of keep things on a surfacey level so instead of just being like oh what an asshole you know like or like yeah am I kind of adding that own meaning no no, it it convenient it helps them have a convenient way to put that to bed once and for all until the reboot with Daniel Craig I mean it's certainly how they use it with Vesper in Casino Royale Mm -hmm. and Quantum of Solace that that colors how he does everything I don't know if at the time people were asking about why doesn't Bond ever settle down or etc I don't know if that was a problem for them or not yeah but adding this in it, it just it it put it to rest because if ever anyone were to ask, man, well, what about what if Bond fell in love, or what if he wanted to be serious or to retire? The answer is, he tried that, and mm-hmm. it was taken from him right. in one of the most horrible ways possible. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I mean, he talks about he, he responds negatively to the idea of marriage because he's like, I enjoy bachelor's freedom, mm-hmm. right? Like, he, yeah. But this is the woman that changes that for him, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure why it is because she's very. She's very suicidal, isn't it? She? At the beginning, she's suicidal. Yeah, and we That's don't really... literally the cold open. She's trying to drown yeah. herself in the ocean. Yeah, and we Bond don't really her. get any sense of why that is, or is that why he feels like this is a person that he cannot save from herself There's or something? so much middle with Blofeld and Bond escaping in the skis, and then the go back with the army, and then the bomb slave. 
there's so much of that that the early feels a little bit hurried along so mm-hmm. we could arrive at the laboratory yeah. which I mean that, that you know Bond films do that sort of thing all the time they're focused on one section or another I'm not trying to critique this film particularly right. but I it does feel a little bit you know he's gonna try to sort of make an honest woman out of her because that was part of his deal with the dad mm. and then instead of going after Blofeld immediately he sets aside a bunch of time to spend with her and then that changes his mind and we don't really see it it just montages away right so we could just have the faith that a lot of stuff happened there meaningful conversation and whatnot right. that did change both of them for the better but we don't get to see it arguably the best courtship scene in this film is when she's driving the car in the stock car race and escaping. Because yeah. he's always had to be the getaway car guy. Yeah. He's always having to dodge these bullets and do these skillful things. And the whole time he's just he's kissing her shoulder and just like enamored of the fact that this is the woman that can she's get me so away from. She's so capable. Yeah. yeah. She's for, not for a 60s era Bond girl. She's just yeah. equal. Yeah. And yeah, I think I, I think, think that she makes it there, but yeah. well, I mean, yeah, she's much closer than a lot of other people can. And you can see the manipulation. She she recognizes her dad's voice on the radio. She knows that when she's being uh, cat kept by mm-hmm. Blofeld, she sees that, and then she starts scheming to get in a position mm-hmm. to where okay, I know right. Fury's coming. In yeah, a way that most others aren't. And I really think that that sequence of her driving the car is a great. More so than kind of like the lovey-dovey sequence stuff that we get. Because that that's what normal people, how normal people would court each other. Mm-hmm. Something about how she drives a car work for Bond. and responds under pressure mm-hmm. is very attractive to Bond. Yeah. So to answer your question, Tim, <laughs> is whether that was the intended end goal or not, it did, put to, it did give us that. Mm-hmm. The idea this helps justify yeah. Bond not becoming attached to anybody else ever. Right. So... Um. So, so yeah, so the way I came into it, um, it was weird because, like, when I was younger, I, I knew of James Bond. And I think I had probably seen, like, little little clips of it. And maybe even when my parents were watching it, because I remember, I remember Jaws, like, the guy with the scary metal teeth. Like, I remember um, a few of the other, like, villains. Like, I remember seeing them, but I never really knew what the story was. I was probably just too scared to watch it. And um, I remember when I was younger, my parents used to watch a show called Remington Steel. <laughs> and I you know, watched a few episodes with them. And then I remember at what point the idea was put into my head. Or, if, you know, if I kind of thought it or if, but I was just like, oh, man, like Pierce Brosnan would make a perfect Bond, you know. <laughs> and, and, I, and it's interesting because I feel like back then, like, we didn't have social media the way we do now. Where it's like, you know, I feel like there are all these fan pages of, oh, you know now that Hugh Jackman's not doing Wolverine anymore, who's going to be the next Wolverine? And everyone has their theory and their opinion about that. Mm -hmm. Like, this wasn't that. Like, so, I don't know. And and I remember it being, like, years before it actually happened. So I don't know, like, how that I, like, if I actually thought that. And it was one of those things, like, when everybody decided simultaneously that Patrick Stewart should be Professor X. (laughs) And then that happened, you know, as a collective consciousness, you know. You're not the only one in the Bond thing, or who should be the next Bond, Mm -hmm. has been happening since Connery left the first time. Oh, okay. So even mm-hmm. even without social media, this mm-hmm. was one of the first of who's going to be this next character. Yeah. Right. But, so but how were they talking about that is what I'm saying. Newspapers right, you know. and TV and, and yeah. conversations in rooms like we're doing now. Right. Yeah, because there was no internet, but, but yeah. it was a big deal. So when Roger Moore was done, mm-hmm. they wanted Brosnan to be... It goes be... back further than that. They were looking at Dalton, and they thought he was too young, so they got more. 
Okay. Then after war, they were looking at Brosnan. But he had Dalton. <laughs> well, because he had that's Remington why. Steel. He, he had a con- contractual oh, so he, obligation. Okay. So that's what maybe that's how it came up then, where it was like, oh, he was yeah. going to be Bond, but he's doing okay. And I mean, Remington Steel is a great audition tape for Bond. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then, yeah, you, and then I saw GoldenEye. Was that the I first one you had seen? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I remember that being being great. Um, oh, yeah. It's outstanding. And, uh, yeah, and then, I, I don't know, I feel like from there it did kind of, I don't want to say went off the rails, like, oh, it was doing what it wasn't supposed to do, but I it, I don't know, I, I, I can't remember specifically what happened. I just remember watching it, and it seemed to be like, I just remember thinking, like, wow, they finally got Pierce Brosnan, and, and they're ruining it. Like that's my and I don't I, I can't remember exactly what because again I wasn't a huge Bond fan I didn't have all these other movies to draw on for what Bond was supposed to be but I just remember being like wow like this should be the coolest thing in the world you know it's kind of like you know if they finally started making I don't know like if DC finally was going to do a Justice League movie and they were fucking it up you know I, I don't I don't know if you can imagine what that would be like um, but <laughs> he really took that out, maybe they will or maybe they won't oh god. <laughs> But um, but yeah, I just remember being like, oh, like why why isn't this as good as it can be? I feel like, like I feel like you you'd have to try to fuck this up, and I feel like they're they're doing that. Like I feel like just put him on the screen and be like, just do what you do, and James it would have been the most amazing yeah. Bond fi- film ever. Yeah. And somehow it was just like, so wait, it's about a newspaper? That's yeah. <laughs> and I mean and I mean I get it, like that whole idea of creating the news and you know, I maybe if really I went like back, that that's villain. based yeah. a lot on today reality no i <laughs> yeah. mean on, on the whole william randolph first yeah and the uh is it the mexican-american war i'm thinking of there's an actual war in u.s history that was i'm not gonna say caused by the newspaper people but, but they played a big part in drumming up uh you know war hawking mm-hmm. feelings and it was one of the most popular wars in american history I think it was the Mexican-American War. I could be mixing it up with the Spanish-American. I apologize. Like, that was the real thing, was the idea that just for ratings, for newspaper sales, for TV ratings, Mm -hmm. these media moguls manipulated the world in subtle ways. Mm -hmm. And they did. Not necessarily in ways as dramatic as the Bond film. Mm -hmm. But it's happened. It's legitimately happened. So Mm -hmm. the idea that it would happen in the digital age, and with a bigger war between, say, Britain and China, Mm -hmm. they they just took something that was real and upped the stakes a bit. The villain in that does actually quote William Randolph Hearst. <laughs> I think my issue with Brosnan is he never decided whether he wanted to be Connery or Moore. Ha. And I think, I think the films and never he should decided. have been Brosnan. I think that's not entirely his fault. That's the yeah. showrunners at the time were trying to do no, both. absolutely, yeah. and that that's the problem because Brosnan is cool as cool can be. Oh, like yeah. the ma- I mean. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire was a better Bond film than the other Pierce Brosnan Bond films. I'm, I'm sorry for, for the messed up recording because Tim and I said Joel Mrs. Doubtfire at the same time. the table and they just did a double high five. I, that just, yes. The yes. <laughs> Brorection is what just took place. My God. Considering Lazen Dibor is kilt in this film, we're just on a roll. Okay. References. Yes. In, in, Mrs. Doubtfire, Brosnan plays a better James Bond, and it, it's he's just cool. Tons he's, of Crown Affair. It's just yes, crazy. yes, that's another one. It's 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 really frustrating because he, he's he, he looks the part. He's smooth. He's sexy. He can hold a gun. He looks good in a 
Tux. Mm-hmm. And he can deliver one-liners, but they gave him some really cheesy stuff. I think that's why I love the Bosnian films so well, because the first couple really do a perfect job of balancing No, I, I think GoldenEye is as close to a perfect film from that Ooh. era. Like, like that, that's, that's the one. Mm-hmm. But they kept chasing it. Sorry, I interrupted. No, not at all. I mean, I interrupted you first. It, we get both. We get the suave one-liner, you know, Bond, you know, manages to beat the guy, turn the gun on him and shoot him and, you know, say the nice one-liner and button his coat and sweep his way out the door. And then we also get the crazy chases from the more air. We, we get both of them. Yeah. We get the peanut butter and the chocolate. <laughs> Except that after a certain point, instead of being peanut butter and chocolate, we get black pepper and chocolate ice cream. <laughs> it's like, oh, what have you... Mm. Why are like, you pairing what? these things together? Right, I don't know when... That, that's, that happens gradually. But, you know, gradually the two flavors stop going so well. So, Tim, is there one that you watch again and again and again? Um... Not really. Um, I think, you know, because I never really... I don't think I liked them enough to really delve back into them, and it didn't hook me enough to be like, oh, I want to go watch all the older ones. And, like, you know, like when the Daniel Craig came, ones came out, I mean, I just haven't seen Spectre yet, but I do want to see it. And, right. you know, as they came out, it's like, okay, yeah, like, I, I want to watch these, and I, I like them. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, it's it's... It, it's it's weird it has a weird place it's not like you know films that I love but I definitely like them I don't you know um, I, yeah I guess I feel like I don't have as much of an opinion because I'm not as much of an expert you know just kind of like oh yeah this is what I liked and didn't yeah cool and, and, and you know, fun but yeah, you're, not, you're not just and, gonna gnaw down on the series and right because staple yeah, yeah. And, and I attribute any of the things that I don't necessarily enjoy might be because I don't get the bigger picture and I'll, you know I'll admit not to that, that not have, be like well this is have to you know. or have to want to yeah you know, so many um, things to many people and of course many different different kinds of film across mm-hmm. the years there's mm-hmm. no nothing that says you have to like what other people like right yeah do um, you have a favorite um not this one probably probably <laughs> I mean this this one was good I I like I mean it was. How does it make you feel when I tell you it's not the worst Bond film? Um, <laughs> does that make you nervous? No, no. Well, because I mean, you know, like I, how many, how many brought was it three or four bras in ones? Four. It were four. Okay. So wait, mm-hmm. it's Goldeneye, uh, well, Goldeneye tomorrow, tomorrow never, never dies. dies, and that's the one about the newspaper, yes. right? World, World is not, not enough. enough, and then die another day. Okay. Yeah, the and he wanted to do more, but they decided to reboot. Yeah. So I, yeah, I. The, the third and fourth I kind of get really mixed up I don't I can't remember what either of those were about mm-hmm. um, but uh, probably my favorite I think was Goldeneye I mm-hmm. just I remember you know the excitement of yeah like Pierce Brosnan and, and, and kind of starting that and and being being happy with it and being like yeah this was cool um, and uh, you know it was my first experience with um, you know Sean Bean has to die and whatever plays. <laughs> So that was, you know, that was that was nice to, you know, I, I I hadn't realized that was the beginning of a journey for me, you know, but from there through Lord of the Rings to, oh, spoiler alert, Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, Did you see Patriot Games? No, he dies in that. Oh, okay, yeah. for season one, that right? Was yeah. Years past, even as we make this episode. So yeah, sure. Hey, some people. And besides, it's Sean Bean. You knew he was going to die. Yeah. yeah. Don't lie. Don't lie. Um, oh, uh, uh, Equilibrium. That's another one. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> um. So yeah, that one's probably my favorite. And like I said, I, I liked um, Casino Royale. Um, Quantum of Solace was next, right? 
Yes. Yeah, and I, I feel like that was definitely one where I didn't I didn't appreciate a lot of the gravity of that film. And I think it was definitely like I think maybe I heard people talking about it and like sort of the things that were being referenced and, and I was just kinda like, Okay, I don't really get that. So maybe my you know, it's kind of like it must be what it's like for someone who just never read a comic book and is watching like Iron Man for the first time. Okay. And it's just kinda like, Okay, like I don't know if this movie is good or bad because I mean I, I kind of liked it it was fun but I feel like there's more here that I'm not getting you know and, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that came up with one of our other films where it was something like hey is that or like, yeah maybe with Skycrawlers where I was like oh Scott is that supposed to be important like it looks like yeah. they're framing it like it's important but yeah. I don't understand what it's referencing and, you know um, it's funny I, I, had this, I had the problem with Casino Royale because of the nature of the reboot that I thought it was fine as a movie but not a great James Bond movie specifically because up until then, there had been all these rules, aspects, things that had come and gone and grown and shrunk. You mentioned about Brosnan balancing the humor and the serious and back and forth that have been been present to some extent, you know, whether it's small or large, in all the films, all up to that point. And with the reboot, they really aired on the side of serious. Mm-hmm. And it was like that. I didn't want that at the time. Gotcha. I didn't. I like it better now, for sure. And especially now we've had some other films that I mean I love you know Skyfall and Spectre, but at the time it was just like I no I don't like this new Bond, new direction, right? You know it. I think I, I had I had other serious movies. I had the more identity to watch if I wanted a, a darker tone spy movie. You know for Bond I wanted a great action movie, and, right. and they were like no no we're gonna do this now, and I went oh. This this is the thing. Born Identity is a response to the Brazen era of Bond films. To Die Another Day specifically, yeah. I think. Casino Royale is a response it's to the Born Identity. Beforehand. Oh, okay. That's what it is. It's this twice-removed response. But it's the thing is, it, you know, it. they didn't quite do it right in that the reason Born Identity works as such a great response is because the problems people had with Die Another Day were too much crazy and too much CGI, you know, and too much wacky. So Born Identity comes along and says, all right, we're going to cut all that out. It's going to be serious and practical effects. So then instead of instead of going, oh, we've had a few of those, there were at least two already by the time, you know, Casino Royale came along. By the way, Born Identity and Die Another Day were the same year, so I guess you're right. It was the other Brosnan films. Apologies. No, that's fine. You know, we've already had some Born films, so I. That's what I mean. It was like they were trying to do that better than the guys who made it popular. Right. You know, that struck me as, don't, don't try to beat them at their own game. Bond has his own game, and it's great. You know, stick to it. You went too far in one direction, but there are other directions to go. Other directions like Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. Or, or like from Russia with Love, mm-hmm. that they didn't have to become born, and they they didn't. <laughs> they really didn't for me. That's part of the reason I was so disappointed with Casino Royale at the gotcha. time. And I think it's like I said, I enjoy it more now on its own as its own set, own set of films. But it just uh, it took me some adjustment. It's, it's a different animal. Certainly. It's a different answer. It's not an, an answer of we're going to do the things people wanted from you, but you didn't give them. Which was what Born Identity said. Do the thing people wanted from Bond, Bond didn't give them. Casino Royale said, "We're going to do exactly what they did, but not." <laughs> you know, it isn't the things that were missing from the Born Identity. It was 
Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say. Yeah, I feel like different kind of answer. There's a lot Casino Royale gets right. Mm-hmm. Felix Leiter being competent and the oh, guy phenomenal. that they the guy that they cast outstanding. Vesper as the Bond girl is outstanding. Lashif is a great villain. He's plays well by Mads Mikkelsen mm-hmm. and just he's got he's got something sinister about his eye that that bleeds, but he kind of disarms it and he winks at the camera. Winks at the yeah. camera. Pun. He doesn't he doesn't want to be. The oh, I'm medicine because I have metal teeth and right. my eyes drip blood. And he just he's trying to just wipes it away and cover it up. Yeah. That's what makes him so menacing. And one of the greatest torture so scenes in the history of film. Uh, well, you can say greatest. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Are, are you, you balking at it because of its area of uh, interest, no, or no. Just, <laughs> just I don't I don't know this. This is, I'm going to sound really creepy here, but there is something of an art to torture, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that's very blunt, is that? Exactly. Literally I think that was the point. But you know? mm-hmm. like even in Tomorrow Never Dies, there's that torture about talking about how long you can keep the guy alive, right? With all the fancy specialized tools they mm-hmm. had, and how long it took Hoffman's record was this many hours. And that was, that was sinister because the torment was just for torment's sake. It was like, you're ours, you're going to die, but we're going to make it hurt. This was a, I want to make you talk, but I'm going to use a way that renders you incapable of speech after I've hit you twice. It was sort of a mixture of both for me, of pain for pain's sake, oh, but also I want to make you talk. And that was, it felt inefficient to me. That's really weird of me to say that torture method felt inefficient. But it did. It felt weird there. It was like, I don't know what, you're, what do you want from him I in this like, scene. I feel like it was a blunt tool for a blunt bond. Sure. And I, I, I enjoyed it. The scene itself is excellently done. Yeah. For sure, I just that was my yeah. complaint was the as an aficionado of torture. Ah yes, <laughs> but oh yes, the scene. Was, I'm sorry, also yes, the scene fit the character very well yeah. too. The the reveal of oh I have this formal A and I wipe away the blood and I wear these tuxedos and nope thunk like yeah. that all fell away. That was brilliant for the character. And the betrayal at the end, I I, I think it's a really well put together. Film. Yes, I, I think it's up there. Away, not just by death, like we saw in Secret Service, but by betrayal. Yeah. Adds a whole extra set yeah. of, of horror. To and she takes experience. herself out of the equation in mm-hmm. a bit. She doesn't fight anymore at the end of that film, which is very interesting. Which is how uh, Secret Service began, with Tracy not fighting anymore. Yeah. And we saw a nice inversion there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't talk about my favorite films. Um, Live and Let Die is my all-time favorite. Yes. This is... Honor Majesty's Secret Service is certainly in my top five. Mm-hmm. Only Live Twice is my favorite Connery, which is a strange choice, and it's because I've watched it so frequently. Oh, I, I like that one a lot, too. And then, I, I guess I'm choosing one from each era. GoldenEye's damn near perfect, and I think Casino Royale is probably my favorite of the Craig era. Um, but this, this film does so much. I, I love... Any scene I get to see Money Penny and Bond interact in is outstanding. I, I, I was rewatched. I watched all the Conneries leading up to this one in preparation because I am obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, any interaction that Bond and Money Penny has is so sweet and tender and playful. Their very first one is the most playful. I, I was watching Doctor No last night. I wanted to first bro, or first Connery versus Lazenby. Wanted that dichotomy in my head. But he, he sits on the arm of her chair and is, like, very affectionate and, like, like it's, it's a really interesting dynamic. And it kind of gets more cold. But in this, the way they interact about Bond says he's going to resign. 
because he won't be allowed to follow Blofeld anymore. Mm-hmm. And the way Money Penny plays How many M. Times does Bond resign now? she's playing M against Bond and Bond against M about like what would they do without her and then at the end when he throws his hat to her like a bouquet to a bridesmaid it's just such a sweet moment and then he's the happiest he's ever been she's happy for him but she still has that loss for him leaving and we don't get to see him and her interact post his wife dying not until the next film, anyway. Right, and I can't remember what I haven't it's seen funny because Diamonds for in the a long time. The rest of the films, it's a lot more superficial. Yeah, than it was even in this film. In the beginning of this film, you see her, him. You know, he walks up behind her, you know, and grabs mm-hmm. hold of her. Yeah. It's just back to their oh, casual flirtiness, yeah. and it stays that way. Partly, I think, just because that was it, it was never something to be explored. It was always going to stay that way. Yeah, that's true. the point, you mm-hmm. know. Sure, that's the point of the characters. I but feel again, like there's also a distance. Intentional too. or not, as mm-hmm. Tim, with Tim's question, intentional or not, right. put that to bed. Money Penny would would never try it now, not really, right. because mm-hmm. of what happened to him. Right, and he wouldn't really be capable. You know, I want to point out something that I was only just thinking about that Bond films are products of their time, absolutely, not just in style, but in current events should I say yep you know they deal with they tried the Silicon Valley thing and a view to a kill <laughs> tried I'll admit they deal with post-Soviet Union and Goldeneye which mm. was I mean holy shit no more Soviet Union yeah. for Bond what because uh, that, that characterized a lot of their plot for I mean Thunderball and for uh, you only or what is it for your eyes only for and for much with love, I yeah. mean, come on, all sim- like yeah, and similar. Plots. You know, tomorrow never dies. Dealt with the rising power of the media in the internet world, and with China as the new great superpower mm-hmm. and to take the Soviet Union's place. But also, it is not an absolute evil because we have Wei Lin helping Bond out. Uh, world's not enough. Tried to deal with oil and energy. Uh, you know, sure. Not another day was Korea, which is pretty timeless. Mm-hmm. I'll admit. And in the older films, we have space. And Moonraker, partly because of Star Wars, <laughs> admittedly. Certainly. But, on the other hand, Space Race was a big deal, yeah. even during the 70s, post-moon landing. And it's know, not the space. first film that we get with rockets and kind of the idea of controlling not space. Because mm-hmm. that's the... Uh, you Only Live Forever. Twice. Well, that, yeah, oh. that too. Yes. You, 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 you Only Live Twice it. is mm-hmm. about kind of air supremacy or space supremacy mm-hmm. and who's sabotaging whose rockets. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to pull up some of the others. Let me think about. Go through them in order here, real quick. I mean, uh, from Russia with love, and you know, Soviet Union is pretty simple espionage yeah. for the time. But, uh, but but the Honor Majesty's Secret Service doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it has this whole curing allergies thing, and I guess bio warfare, which uh-huh. you know, sure is a topic to talk about, and is roughly as timeless as Korea, I suppose. If you want to call that another day's topic a cop out, then sure, please you know go ahead and Secret Service definitely. It, it just doesn't because it's not about that. It's about Bond. Yeah. In a similar way to the Craig ones, because Craig, yes. Craig's era. That, I mean, we've got parkour in the another opening sequence. Another thing that made me feel uncomfortable about Casino Royale was that the the current event felt a little shoehorned in, which it definitely felt for another day, and it felt. There wasn't one for this, like I said, for Secret Service. Mm-hmm. If there was one, it was 
it was just bio warfare and it feels kind of yeah. like oh why not it felt that way for Casino Royale and it felt that way for Quantum of Solace it just Casino Royale has this whole oh well the poker game is to goes money that can go anywhere in the world and can fund these shadow groups because terrorism because that's our new hot button right. issue and oh hey let's have a scene in an airport because why the hell not right. <laughs> you know felt like no but and quantum's about solar energy and, and oil and, and oil and, and water right water especially but that's interesting about skyfall though because it's it's kind of yes. not about any it's a little bit about the digital and about espionage and about the guilt of the governments and the things yeah. they do in the shadows but it's a lot about nostalgia and memory and characterizing and bond emotion and that's what makes it so much better i think than casino and quantum mm-hmm. and what makes secret service work better even than casino and quantum because oh current event uh, bio warfare somebody all right let's make a movie about bond and they did they did that with skyfall and I did that with Spectre. Spectre has the little touch about information and the internet and the power of privacy and all that sort of thing. But it's not the point. Mm-hmm. And just like in Skyfall, there's uh, the guilt of what these governments sanction coming back to haunt them. But again, it's not the point. The point is Bond. And in Secret Service, oh, biowarfare, not the point. The point is Bond and Blofeld and his wife. You know? And it just it works so, so tightly. Yeah. <laughs> Even as clumsy and fumbling as this film felt sometimes Secret Service did and fumbling in the dark that I said earlier mm-hmm. the parts that were about Bond felt right yeah and it's kind of what you needed from something that you wanted it needed to make Bond transcend whoever played it because mm-hmm. it was unclear whether Lazenby was going to come back for another one or if they were going to go with somebody else they didn't I think they based a lot of their decision on the critical reception of that film, and they decided, hey, we're going to pay Conrad to come back. But it, it, it was this sense that this is a character, if we're going to make this a character that we can bring anybody in to play the role, how we feel about him and how he interacts with the world has to be more relatable, has to be more human. Mm-hmm. We have to understand his motivations for being this suave, aloof guy. And I think I, I think they achieved that. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost, obviously they did. They, they had right. <laughs> how many films afterwards? Uh, what were you gonna say, Tim? Well, just it almost seems like like what you were saying about like oh these films aren't about this that and the other thing. It's just about Bond. Maybe that's one of the things that I kind of dug about uh, Born Identity, Ooh. at least the ones that I've seen. It's you know I mean you know yes there's this organization who kind of engineered him to be this weapon. But it's like mostly centered around just him and figuring out who he is and why he is and who are these people after him. And, and you're finding out as he's finding out. Yeah, and, and almost, you know, kind of like what you were saying, like that being an answer to the Brazen ones is like, okay, maybe we're getting too big on what's going on in the world and this one guy has to save the world from all of this stuff. It's just yeah. like, what about if it's just about Zoomed the guy? Out too much. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and maybe that's maybe that was the thing that happened with, with Brazen. It was, yeah, it got too big. It's like no, no, no. Let's let's focus on the character, you know. And maybe that's why, like, you know, when you get those where it's focused just on Bond, it's like, yeah, this is this is really what we want. We want, you know, yeah, this guy has to do stuff, but we want to know about this guy. And you know, I think that maybe that's what I should kind of, if I'm going to watch more of them, like which ones are more Bond centered instead of like, oh, here's the thing that's in the news. Let's make a film about this. Yeah. You know? What were you looking at, Sky? Uh, it looks like Lazenby decided not to return during production, not to come back as Bond again. From Wikipedia, the 
original intentions were concluding the film with Bond and Tracy driving off toward their wedding, saving Tracy's murder for the pre-credit sequence of Diamonds Are Forever. That's, the idea yeah, was scrapped after Lazenby quit the role. That's interesting. He decided not to do it again. Mm -hmm. I wonder why that was. And then he, they used that idea for Jason, for Born Identity too. Yeah. Isn't that how yeah. that one starts? Yeah. With that's her how the supremacy yeah. starts with, oh, hey, let's kill Marie. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, uh, that is interesting. Indeed. Lazy B. Lay did some interesting groundwork there. And he was a model. That was there was a <laughs> yeah. big outrage about him being cast in this role because he he wasn't physical or any like he he hadn't acted before really. I don't think so, other than like commercials or something. So him coming into the role was kind of like a strange like. Sean Connery made his career as Bond. He mm -hmm. is Bond. He's this iconic, and so we're bringing this this guy who's an underwear model right. in. And I, 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 that's interesting that they had offered him the role, and he's the one. I wonder if it had to do with. Because it looked like a lot of those stunts, apart from the skiing, were him. Mm -hmm. Like those, you don't see them obscuring the face like they did for uh, Connery for some of the stunt work. Mm -hmm. Like you see that it's him in those stunts. Mm -hmm. What's up, Scott? I, just, I, don't, I can't find much about pre-Bond acting from Lazenby's Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that it was none. It says he was in a commercial here. I don't know if that counts as model interacting, <laughs> but what kind of Fine. commercial? I just but I. Speak to. There is this great line, though, and you mentioned the physicality in the film. Uh, the position was consulted. When Lazenby accidentally punched a professional wrestler who was acting as a stunt coordinator in the face, impressing Broccoli with his ability to display aggression. Ah, oh, he definitely does. And yeah, there's a lot of physicality in this yeah, movie. He sure. throws some haymakers, though, like they're way from Toledo. Like, it's insane. Um, that's really interesting that they offered him the role. That, that would have charactered it a lot differently if he had moved into Diamonds of Forever. I wonder if we would have gotten a more from that. I don't know. We might have had Lazenby for longer or never seen Connery again. Until he did uh, Never Say Never Again. Or would he have if he hadn't come back to do Diamonds? That's I mean, fair. Don't know. And, and then we might have jumped straight to Dalton even. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Who knows? Yeah. Different worlds. Bizarro worlds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bizarro world. Is that where I say that I love a view to a kill? I, I suppose. <laughs> anyway. God, that's such a tired movie. You just feel fatigue from more, and he's being chased by this really sexually aggressive, like, 14-year-old figure skater, and they're in this monastery. It's really bad. Like, it's really hard to watch. It's always been interesting to me how smooth the transition was to live and let die, and more. Right? As opposed to the transition into Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. Because they're unapologetic about it. They don't oh, veil yeah. it. They don't have an opening sequence where it could be Connery, it couldn't be. Yeah, in fact, with Live and Let Die, they go out of their way to differentiate. Absolutely. And Cars different, the styles to differentiate different. differentiate the character. Yeah. Cigars instead of cigarettes, a magnum instead of the little PPK. Big so, ass I mean, magnum. There's a lot they do in that. Film, which is Moore's first film, Living That Die, oh, okay. Tim, to really make it distinct, <clears throat> which in Secret Service they did not do. Like, you don't see Dalton, uh, Dalton <laughs> whoops, uh, you don't, you don't see, see him in that for face. several years. For that whole sequence on the beach, you don't see his face for a great stretch. Right. And the first thing he says is, it's never happened to the other fellow, meaning yeah. Connery. Yeah. Like, that's, this was, Secret Service was so much about not having Connery, but 
oh no, don't worry, it's still Bond. Well, Live and Let Die was so much about, nah, Connery's gone, this is a new Bond and a new film, yeah. new kind of film. Mm-hmm. It helped certainly, I think, that film tastes and film styles had changed a little more drastically yeah. by the time Live and Let Die comes out, yeah. like exploitation plan and whatnot, than they had with Secret Service. But... Yeah, just, and they kind of characterized like this isn't your father's James Bond. Yeah. This is a different, different thing. It's crazy just how well the stars aligned for that film. Yeah. They didn't for this one. Mm. I would also like to say, outside of the film, the last few times I've watched this, I've watched this with people who make sarcastic comments. Okay. <laughs> Secret Service. I actually can't remember the last time I just sat down and watched the film. Huh. <laughs> focused on it. This is only the second time I've seen it's it. It's becoming my sarcastic quote, Bond. Okay. Which I think is kind of unfair, because there are others that deserve that much more. Yeah. But, you know, let's keep joking about the pocket mittens, <laughs> and how convenient it was that there was a line for him to grab, you know. Well, that's, he, there's no... There's one gadget. It's a very large uh, uh, safe-cracking machine and fax machine that he has craned in from a job site across the street into this Swiss law office. Yeah. That's the one... Thing. And then the rest of it, he's making do with his hands and his pockets of his jeans or his, his pants. Yes. It's funny to me too that I, I remember reading that Desmond Llewellyn Q is not in *Live and Let Die*. Right. Part of part of their efforts to distinctify it, I suppose. I don't know. And there was actual fan uproar to say, "We want Q back." He wasn't really in this film either. Like, no, he's in it, he shows up, he he's speaks. At the beginning, he has speaking he's speaking parts, but he doesn't do anything. Yep. He might as well not be there. True. Yeah, that's the one who gives him all his gadgets and stuff, yep. right? Quartermaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Who, who was Q all the way until his passing, yep. after the world is not enough. Yep. Before the release, actually, and after filming, yeah. I think. And then right, they bring in John Cleese. John Cleese, which they introduced John Cleese in The World Is Not Enough. Mm-hmm. As, you know, I'm training him to be my successor, and Brosnan makes a joke about it. Does that make him R? You know? <laughs> and then we only got one movie with John Cleese because then they rebooted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I actually like New Q a lot too. Who's New I Q? Oh, I couldn't tell, tell you his name. name. He's, <laughs> he's me, great. Let me Google it real quick here. I also like John Cleese quite a bit. New Q doesn't, start, doesn't show up until Skyfall either. We get right. two whole films with no character of Q yep. at all. Which is was also pretty bold and maybe one of the things uh, that didn't sort of put me off was you know there's no Q in Dr. No that's about it he's in Russia of Love he's yep. in Goldfinger Q was a staple that's exactly one of the things that put me off about this reboot so they took all these things that were staples of the franchise that worked well whether the film was serious or hokey and then just shuffled them away because we're serious now and it was like right. but you didn't need to mm-hmm. uh, Ben Wishaw 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 I'm gonna I don't I can't pronounce names. <laughs> That's my shtick, mispronouncing names, <laughs> okay. giving them ten pronunciations. So you just got to pick a name and give it as many pronunciations as you can think. Gotcha. Anyway, Ben Wishaw is our new Q. I saw him in the miniseries slash TV series The Hour, I think it's called. Okay. If you don't think either of you will have seen. It was on a little BBC America block I had where they brought TV shows over. Gotcha. Sort of like late at night. And we... We didn't get anything past the second season, or series as they call them. Mm-hmm. But apparently there are more, and that was just infuriating to me. That was a phenomenal show. Gotcha. And so when I saw him, I went, great, perfect, good casting. I was confident. Nice. But I know he was new to a lot of people. The thing I like about Original Q is whenever we see Q out in the field, having it's to so bring 007, 
some gadget and explain it to him. He's so bitter and so British the about rent a car scene in Tomorrow Never Dies for you, Tim. Mm-hmm. He's just he's so at the airport with the clipboard and sort of I'm getting back home. And oh, the okay. boat yeah, in the world is not enough. Yeah. He's all upset that James took it. Is he in Goldmine? Yes, the pen. Of course, <laughs> oh, right, he's yeah. in Goldmine. How could I forget? <laughs> But yeah, whenever he has to leave and go out into the field, as Joel was saying, it's just such a great thing. I, so I would have liked to see that. He, and he, he 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 does not hide his disdain for 007's like mistreatment of his gadgets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I spent hours and so much money like yeah. crafting this thing, and you're going to use it once and destroy it. And it, especially when he has to go into the field, it's like I had to get up, I had to skip my afternoon tea. I've been on a plane for 14 hours. Mm-hmm. If I could just dispense with your childish games for right. a minute, 007, here's yeah. the thing I've brought for you. Mm-hmm. And you know that works whether it's just some simple wisecracks as he's trying to explain this cool briefcase for promotion with love and a serious espionage movie, or whether it's all the crazy nonsense going on in the background of Moonraker. Yeah, that works. That attitude works. I love at one point he smacks Sean Connery's hand away from something. (laughs) (laughs) And Sean Connery's kind of like cowed like a good schoolboy would be. Yeah. It's very good. By the quartermaster, of course. (sighs) It's so weird to me. I feel feel bad, Tim. We sort of alienated you by talking a lot about the older films. Well, it's fine. I mean, you know, and this this podcast isn't also for me. It's also for the listeners. So people Mm -hmm. who have seen those older films, you know, they're they're getting stuff out of that discussion. It it just... there's so many of them and even though the Brosnan films and the Craig films share a lot in showing methods and CGI and, and all sorts of modernisms to mm-hmm. them they're so distinct because the Craig films are just stand on their own yep. their own set their own re- you know, total reboot yeah, that makes me wonder where we're going to go from now on are we going to conclude the Craig series and go back to a sort of episodic bond of here's the continuing adventures of James Bond, or are we going to, with every actor, tell Bond's story again? Oh, God. Like Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> yes, though. Yeah. But really, I, you know, that, I wonder where we'll go from there. Because for so long, Bond was just episodic. Episodic. <laughs> with, like, a Spectre through line. Right, except for the Spectre but... bit, which concludes with Connery's last film. And so for all of Moore and Dalton and Brosnan, we just have hey, here's what adventure he's on today, mm-hmm. or this month, you know, this year, what have you. And it's just, it's that, that for me, that was just, like, tune in this time. Tune in next Saturday, mm-hmm. next adventure. Yeah. And it's comforting and steady. And even yeah. the bad ones, they're still, they're still going to be cool. And you've seen that Craig has signed on for two more. Yeah. Oh, man, I was surprised. I thought it was tough to he, finagle one more. Well, yeah, because he had talked about more. wanting to slit his Risks oh, rather than do phys- it again. The physical demand mm-hmm. is exhausted. Is yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he just went and did Logan Lucky and was like, "Hey, I had some fun, and now I'd really like to be Bond again." Like, <laughs> yeah, I needed a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and I, I think that's more. a role that takes its toll. You can you can tell with each actor. I mean, the ones that get more than two, you can yeah. see how the role takes a toll. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would almost like to see, and, and maybe I don't have any any ground to stand on but I would like to see you know how they've, they've sort of speculated that like well maybe each actor is a different person and sort of the persona of James Bond is someone that's given like I would like to see like the next series kind of deal with that like like start with like Daniel Craig and he is killed and like okay we need a new Bond and bringing someone almost doing like a Jason Bourne thing where it's like 
we are going to train and brainwash this person to be James Bond, mm. and that's who the new Bond is, and kind of so clench that idea of this is what this is about. This is about us, you know, turning people into James Bond because that's the world needs a James Bond, you know, and and somehow spinning that into it. You know, but then again, they may be like, "Oh, that, I like that when it was Jason Bourne," you know, because I feel like that's kind of what that was. If they were going to do that, they'd have to do it with the Craig uh, timeline. If you yeah, know. I'd like to see just 007. So that's a designation that passes mm-hmm. from agent to agent. Mm-hmm. Then we could get a female lead in one of these films. Yeah. You could do a lot with inverting mm-hmm. the constructs of a historically misogynistic role. You could do a lot yeah. with gadgets. You could do a lot with just playing with it a little bit more. Yeah, like really reinventing it. And but they'd really have they to... Did, ru- oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. That was something they did with Craig's films that was interesting. Because in Brosnan's, the females are all inside him. And yeah. with Waylon and Jenks especially, they're equals. Yeah. I feel like that's almost something that made things too big because they suddenly had two agents and they had to make things big enough to have two protagonists fighting their way through the bad guys instead of one. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was part of the reason their scale got just so damn big that they're like, oh, well, now we're going to have a female agent. She has to have stuff to do mm-hmm. and be just as badass. And whether it was or not, it went away completely with Craig era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He went back to not helpless, but not, not super capable mm-hmm. either. Right. Uh, I love that. I love to say that Judy Dench is the Bond girl of Skyfall. <laughs> yes, absolutely Spectre, she is. You know, for Spectre, she's capable. She wins that fight for him on the train. Yeah. But it's the same sort of capable that we got out of... It's actually less capability, I would say, than we got out of the girl in Goldeneye, who wasn't an agent. She was just a hacker. You know, she gets more done than the girl does in Spectre, I think. See, what you said about two agents, I'd love to see a Bond and... Felix Leiter movie mm-hmm. like a buddy cop yeah James Bond universe those guys pairing up that would be great well, that was one of the things I loved about Goldeneye how Sean Bean was 006 that, yeah, yeah you know so we okay there's a sequence yeah. of people and you there know, are references to yeah. other 00s in especially in the more films I think technically a 00 shows up somewhere in one of the more films momentarily to just like drop off a briefcase or I think something. a 005 or, or maybe point. get assassinated. Yeah. Something of yep. pretty much no consequence mm-hmm. other than to move the plot upon. But we finally got to see 006, see yeah. him, talk to him, give him a face, and right. watch them do stuff. That was so cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. That was this is what happens when two double O's go in together. Right. And, and it's, it's it's massive. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He accomplished a whole movie's worth of destruction and bad guy death in, in a cold in the open cold open because right. there were two of them, you know. Yeah. Well yeah. I almost like to see like in the you know, like the um x-men origins wolverine where there was a weapon 11 like who comes Ah. after so like to have 008 going in the other direction not he's his replacement but this new guy is your replacement like you are old news james bond and like almost that sort of on the edge of extinction kind of thing but then somehow he's oh well 008 went haywire you know or like like with uh terminator you know you have the t-800 and the t-1000 so it's like how is the the older model going to beat the new better model right. you know, something to, like that would be really not cool. to say they couldn't do that mm-hmm. they've explored that topic pretty thoroughly with Brosnan and Craig oh okay because the first time Dench sees Brosnan your sexist misogynistic dinosaur yep. a relic of the Cold War oh so like yeah so they, like field agents are they still feel a gap but I mean just mm-hmm. no you don't need your old cloak and dagger junk 
which helped in the Roslyn era to also say, hey, we've got a new, new thing going on. And then with Craig with Skyfall at the beginning. With, with Craig with most of his films, actually. I mean, there's this whole, the whole, well, will he prove himself or won't he in, in uh, Casino Royale? There's the whole Skyfall about age and, age and technology and sometimes they need to pull a trigger or not pull a trigger. Mm. And then even in Inspector, there's that whole technology and privacy. and Oh, we don't need your agencies anymore. We can just do this global eye thing. So that topic's come up a lot. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of weird to see Judy Dench defend Bond in Craig World when she had called him a dinosaur in Brosnan World. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that it hasn't been explored deeply for mm-hmm. sure. It I, would be very interesting to see. But the topic is there. Mm-hmm. They know it's there. Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of like the best of all worlds too, because like it's it's it would be it could be a very Bond centered film without getting too much into everything that's going on in the world. Um, I mean, you could get into that a little bit with the whole idea of, like, yeah, things that are old, are they useless or do they have their place still? Mm-hmm. And, like, how does he find his place in this world that's, like, moving on? And, oh, you know, we have Agent, you know, zero one zero or whatever. It's like, now that's, oh, it's not even double O anymore. We've moved that far beyond it, you know. Or, or you know, Agent 107, you know, we're that far beyond where you are, you right. know, just to kind of have this sort of frame of reference where it's like, oh, yeah, like, this whole idea this whole idea of him in, uh, in in reference to you know whatever that number series represents he's he's seven like that's right. it you know and that has stayed stagnant throughout this whole mm-hmm. time you know so what happens when we get beyond yeah what happens when we get into the 100s or the because there the, are all these other know. double O's and they're on paper just as good as Bond mm-hmm. and they're not just because Bond's our main character so of course he's the best right yeah. but in theory they could just this is a job for a double O yeah just a double O, mm-hmm. necessarily 007. Right. Mm-hmm. So is that the thing? Do they only have like nine at any point in time? I like, I imagine know, the answers are somewhere in his books. Yeah. But, not the, but then again, the books don't exactly. Right. No, I mean, set down laws yeah. for the films. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'd like to see more of the James Bond mythology explored, which I think I feel like Craig's do that a lot, like getting into oh, his past sure. and this, that, and other. Um, they explored in his past more deeply in that film than in you know, any of the other films after mm-hmm. the orphan thing and, mm-hmm. and of course the, the Skyfall estate the world is not enough and, uh, <laughs> they added gasoline to uh, the Home Alone invasion story <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the, just yes. defending the house against mm-hmm. intruders that's, that's what they should sequence. do they should take a bunch of other pre-existing movies Work James Bond into it, and then make it ridiculous. <laughs> you know, kind of like how, like the whole like Pride and Prejudice and zombies, like doing yeah. something like that, like yeah, like the Land Before Time and James Bond, it's like James <laughs> Bond versus dinosaurs and their cartoons. So now you're, you're describing like a two brothers, advertising two, two brothers. brothers. <laughs> hey, all right. James describe... Bond makes a plumbus. Oh god. <laughs> Q is issuing him a plumbus and he goes through how to make one. He repurposes for later (laughs) uses. You're describing Cowboys and Aliens. Was James Bond in Indiana Jones? (laughs) That's That's true. Oh my god, you're right. Uh, Alright, so I have a good situational movie recommendation topic. Okay. Um, So, what is a movie that you don't necessarily like, but you end up rewatching 
every so often trying to get the thing about it. Mm. So, like, my example is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Ah. I do not understand why, but every three or four months, I return to that film trying to find something of what it is that's magnetic about it. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just Tim Curry and Nylons or the way he sings things. It's just such a strange brain worm of a film with a plot that makes no sense and this weird sexuality kind of risque nature thing that's constantly interesting, but you don't really get any... The things that you watch a movie to get, like some kind of satisfying plot ending or even like a... Uh, puzzling in an intellectually stimulating way ending mm-hmm. it doesn't give me any of that stuff right mm-hmm. and I just end up rewatching it every so often because it's like do I like this movie I think I, th- I like certain things about this movie it's very strange mm-hmm. I have one if so you want kind of okay. is it Matrix no no it's uh, it, uh, it is it is uh, one that I kind Ooh. of reference pretty often it, uh, uh, Spider-Man 3 Okay. Recently, you watched this again. Yeah. Um. It, it's one of those. Like, I think. What was I saying? Like, I think I was in bed and I was trying to go to bed early, and I was like on my phone looking for like a little thing to do. Like, oh, should I read a comic or whatever? And I think on HBO it's available or something. I was like, oh, I'll start watching this, and then I'll be like, oh, this is terrible. I'm gonna go to sleep. And it's like I know that it's it's not good, but it's not. 100% awful. Like yeah. there are so many pieces of it that I that I enjoy, so many little things that I think they got right. And I think yeah, like you were saying like I I watch it trying to figure out like okay, is it is it actually brilliant and I just missed something? You know, and there are there are a few really specific things that bother me and I try to sort of number one like look at them maybe in a new light. Or, okay, let me overlook that and see if the rest of the movie is actually pretty solid and holds up. And, um, yeah, I, I, I can't decide. It's, it's so back and forth. You know, there were so many things that I thought were done really well. And so many things that were just like, like what, what are you doing? You know, like, why, why would you do that? Like, there are a there are hundred different options. You know, and again, like, I, I try really hard not, not to hate things and not to just criticize things and try to see well, maybe it was because of X, Y, and Z. And there are so many things where it's like, you could have just done this, and I feel like we wouldn't have had as much of a problem with it. You know, you could have done this, and this this would have worked. You know, like, um, for example, one of my biggest things is that to introduce Gwen Stacy, who in the comics was his first love, and introduce her as the girl that Peter uses to make Mary Jane jealous. Like, you could have used any other girl. You could have used Betty Brant. She was already there in the comics. You know, she and Peter dated at one point. Um, you could have, you know, there, there, you could have introduced, like, Felicia Hardy, you know, like the black cat, because they've always had this weird kind of sexual tension. Um, and the fact that they used Gwen Stacy for that and, like, completely, you know, flipped the character around, like, that really bothered me. Again, because, like, I see that you needed you know for the story they wanted to tell they wanted to bring in this other woman to kind of create that tension between Peter and Mary Jane 
Um, and I really enjoyed the rest of that part with like them breaking up, Harry kind of coming in, like him going back and forth between hating Peter because he blames him for his father's death, and then him slipping into amnesia and you know kind of befriending MJ, you know, and then when he remembers like manipulating her, like that whole thing I thought was amazing. Like all of this, like that whole film could have just been Peter, Harry, MJ, and then like like I said, a, a, a random girl to kind of put that wedge between, um, and that would have been brilliant. Um, adding Venom in okay like there were a few things I would have tweaked but Venom wasn't a bad idea why did we have to also have the Sandman like I feel like the Sandman served no real real purpose and but but then there were things about Sandman that were kind of cool like like I enjoyed seeing him anytime he was on screen like it looked really cool but um, but anyway so that's one of those and, and, and there are parts of me that like enjoy watching that film like it's not complete garbage i know a lot of people dismiss it as garbage and i feel like maybe it's because i'm such a big spider-man fan that i do want to find some redeeming quality in it um but but yeah it's it's really weird it's kind of like i don't know like it must be like if you have like a kid who you're just like what what the fuck is wrong with my kid i mean i i love my kid they're my kid i have to love them but but what the fuck is wrong with them? Like, why do they do this all the time? Why, why, why can't they just, you know, like, why, you, you know, and you kind of struggle with it. I mean, I guess it's not the same because it's not a human being, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple to talk about, I guess, that just encapsulate the type of film, type of problem I have and why I keep going back. Mm-hmm. And one of them is The Matrix, actually. <laughs> I have no sticks. I'm just going <laughs> to go in the corner and not, not contribute. <laughs> but... It's the other one is actually the thing. I know this is gonna make a lot of people angry, but I keep going back and it just doesn't. Again, they're good films. I enjoy them both. They're fine. Okay, sure. You know, good time. Whatever. Put it on. Watch it. Whatever. But so much about them, what made them good was the time period they came out in, and the things they did at the time. And sorry, but it just doesn't hold up. Even I know people always like to say the Matrix sequels are no story and all visual spectacle and the story is a mess. I think the first one is has similar problems, but just the less severe. There's very little story progression in that film. It's very short. But there's so much else going on in the meantime. Exhibition about what the Matrix is, and then let's set this up and let's do the all the cool visual stuff that people just go, oh wow, cool, it's all wrapped up in such a nice package. But it doesn't really hold up anymore. We've seen visual spectacle. We've seen better visual spectacle, bigger visual spectacle of all kinds. Mm-hmm. So when I go back and watch The Matrix... Now the visual spectacle is just there. It's just like I'm just sitting there going, "When does the when does the plot start? Oh, hey, it started it. When is it going to continue? Oh, okay, there. It, oh, we took one more step. You know, the thing doesn't quite have the same problem. The plot progresses a lot better, but it doesn't grab me after the first time. Just now that I know what happens, I have trouble keeping attention. Hmm. don't have that problem with Alien. I was just about example. to say. Even though I already know what happens in Alien. I can tell it to you almost by heart. I can watch that every time and be just enraptured every mm-hmm. time. Can't do that with The Thing. There's one plot point in The Thing that kind of irks me, but I don't think that's it. I just The practical effects are very dated, too. Almost in the same way The Matrix's effects are dated now. Like the big lump thing, they're always all, oh, you look how gross that was. And the whole thing was real and it could move. And now it just looks like, oh, look, a puppet. Why are they afraid of a puppet? And it feels obvious to me. I'm sure it didn't at the time. 
And the first time I watched it, I was just going, oh, wow, that's so gross. But, you know, now it, it's something about having finished the film or having not seen the films when they were new that just, I, I missed the train, you know? I missed, I missed the train. Hmm. That because I came back to them at a certain time, it, it just didn't grab me. But you keep you keep coming back to these films. Yeah, you know, I mean, I keep watching The Thing or The Matrix, and they're you know decent enough. They're fine. I have fun while they're on. But just when you say them to people, they always go, "Oh yeah," you know, and I just I, they never came close for me for some reason. They just didn't, and I I don't know why. It's happened a lot lately with some friends I have who are a good deal older than me who really watched films in the right time period, the teenagers and whatnot. A lot of '80s films. Mm-hmm. And they'll keep recommending 80s movies to me, right. and I keep watching them and just not caring. Mm-hmm. Film after film after film. And then there are some of them. The Thing was one of the ones that they were like, they're telling me to watch it was the thing that finally made me sit down and go, let me pull this out of the backlog. And that one was good. Better than the rest. You know, it didn't have... It, it lasted better, for sure. Yeah. But I can already tell there are a lot of films that I enjoy that are... I'm going to recommend to younger people one day, and they're just going to shrug their shoulders. Hmm. I'm, I'm that same with, with older stuff, too. Like, I mean, I, I grew up mostly in the 80s, and there are some 80s films that I'm very familiar with and some that I've never seen and have no interest of seeing because, yeah, I know if I watched them now, I'd be like, I don't, I don't care about this movie, you know? Like, and, 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 yeah, I've noticed that with a lot of, with a lot of things, too, with, mm-hmm. with movies, is that, you know, if I can appreciate something because of its place in history but I don't enjoy it necessarily with the same. And I, I won't bring up a specific thing I'm thinking because this will be too controversial, but there's, sure. there's, a certain, there's a certain band that you know everyone seems to love, and I'm like, I get it, but I, I don't love that band. Like, you know, I, I, don't, think, I don't really give a shit. Like I If I never heard one of their songs ever again, it wouldn't bother me, mm-hmm. but I understand their place in history and why they were important. And I think a lot of it is that, especially with the recommendations I get from friends for 80s movies, that they're recommending things that don't have a place in history. Mm-hmm. because I won't be either there's so many films that I'm watching that are coming out now during my lifetime mm-hmm. so many of those are going to be just kind of forgotten right so when I watch old enough films I get things like Citizen Kane and Night of the Hunter and Touch of Evil the things that have stood the test of time for one reason or another and even if I don't always agree with them on a taste level you know personal taste I can see why they're important mm-hmm. and go oh okay I'm having a lot of trouble with some of these movies as to why they were important you know, even going that I, I guess at the time they were impressive, but they're definitely not anymore. And some of them, I think we don't even need to remember as being impressive. Even I'll, I'll, I'll give the Matrix its CGI stuff, sure. Important in history for sure. I don't think the thing is. It gets remembered as a great film, and the narrative is told really well. Why it can't grab me, I won't. I, like I said, I don't know. I'm not going to disagree with anybody. If wants, you know, goes on best film lists, sure good I'm not going to dispute that at all even though it doesn't do it for me but it didn't it didn't pioneer anything it was just a good film if that sentence makes any sense mm-hmm. see I don't even know if I can claim that about Rocky Horror <laughs> I so I don't know how much you I worked in a musical theater for, for I just did another show so it's been 10 years now that whole artsies and all people from all walks the, the people who are more, I'll say normal today. I don't want to use that word, but you know what I mean. And the people from who are less. The point is, Rocky Horror, like David Bowie, gave a lot of people 
it's okay to, to feel like I feel, even though it doesn't line up with what everyone else feels. Mm -hmm. My mom used to go to the midnight showings right. of Rocky Horror. They'd bring toast, and when everyone has a toast, they throw a toast, and they right. yell toast. There's this, this sense of belonging mm -hmm. in the strangeness that uh -huh. you get out of musical theater and out of Rocky Horror. And so even though I don't feel that sense of belonging when I watch the film, I understand why it's important. Mm -hmm. And go, okay, separate from me having to enjoy it, go, oh, okay, sure. Which is the thing I don't get out of things like The Thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't quite understand why it's important. Like, mm -hmm. Is it was important to you because at the time it was good and it's a good movie? But I'm just, I'm not seeing it, you know? Gotcha. It's, it's, yeah. it's this just such a strange... Frankenfurter is this terrible, sadistic figure. But because it's Tim Curry and he's brilliant and his final song is so poignant and personal and relatable, you feel this, like, tragic end for him. And it's just... I don't know if that's why... I mean, I love Tim Curry. Mm -hmm. I, I Everything he's in is made better for it. Muppet Treasure Island, one of the greatest versions of that story ever, <laughs> is really, really improved by his improvement or his inclusion in that cast. I... There's something about the songs. It's this. I think I watched, caught a clips of it, like budding sexuality, like this weird, kinky, strange thing that was exciting because it was dealing very positively and very candidly with like sexual identity and perception and being presenting a sexy kind of mm -hmm. acceptance mm -hmm. kind of space. Because he has that this huge biker gang of alternative lifestyles, this counterculture kind of safe space that he creates while feeding him or making Frankenstein kind of monsters and feeding them to each other. Like <laughs> it, it's a very just a strange, strange thing. And I think I keep coming back to it because I enjoy Curry's performance, and I keep trying to find some like what happened. Where's this? What what's the story again? Like mm -hmm. that? Yeah, like like my films. It's this that that other people are getting something out of this. Why am I not? Right, mm -hmm. and it's I, I'm and wanting to participate. Tend to do with time period, I okay. guess. But yours seems to be a what's the term I'm looking for here? I, social to do with the the culture of the audience. Yeah, if that makes sense. I could be. Mm -hmm. I think a big part of it too. I I I, feel, I heel this phrase years ago and. I feel like I've heard it, I read it recently somewhere, but the idea of like finding your tribe, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and I think that you know it, it hits on two things because I think the people who love Rocky Horror Picture Show found their tribe, mm -hmm. and I think those of us who who keep trying to understand things like that, it's like we're we're, we're we feel like we should belong to that tribe, but we kind of don't. We um, see them all having a good time, and then go, yeah, ooh, I want to join in on that. Yeah, it doesn't. And and you know so so I'll try to be quick. Two examples for me like that are um, I was aware of Rocky Horror, and I don't think I ever actually even seen it all the way through. But there was one time where um, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No. So there's there's a musical where the spell is put on the whole town, and everyone is like singing all this stuff. Um, and it worked perfect for Buffy because it's like, hey, like why are we all singing? Like they acknowledge that they were doing it. We have to try to stop it. There's some you know magic at work here. And um, so this this one theater, I think it was in Boston, had done 
they were doing a showing of that episode and the group who put it on came up with a bunch of audience participation and they passed out like a sheet of paper saying this is what we're going to do at all these times mm -hmm. and oh there's one part where you need a kazoo so here's a kazoo you we actually got some of the props and and that for me really clicked because I got to have that audience participation part of it but something that I was already into myself like I wasn't trying to love a movie that I wasn't really interested in so I could be part of this like a group of people who already love the same things like added that element to it and that was was really cool um, another aspect of that for me was you know as, as much as I you know love Star Wars there was always something like uh, I feel like everyone around me who loved it loved it way more than I did mm -hmm. you know and I and again I kind of like went along with how much I loved it because everyone around me and that was at the time like probably the greatest or the, the, okay you know and again you had those there's two camps the Star Trek and the Star Wars you know so I was definitely more in the Star Wars camp but it wasn't like oh this is the greatest thing ever like this is really awesome but you hit you hit the nail on the head for me John yeah. at our, our website John Bencourt is mm -hmm. a huge Trekkie mm -hmm. he adores Star Trek I'm too young I missed the boat Mm -hmm. Star Trek wasn't a thing for when I was growing up. It was always something from the past, especially the original series. Yeah, and it's great. It's a good show. I enjoy it, but it will never, for me, be what it is for him. Right, <laughs> because he experienced it in the time. That is the problem I have mm -hmm. <clears throat> with the films that I keep coming back to, even with The Matrix. Yeah, <laughs> even with some modern films that came out recently, just that I didn't gather myself up in the culture of the film and go see it when it came out. Mm. that now I will always be looking in from the outside mm. and so it what it can be for me has been transformed mm. or limited I don't want to say limited but just changed yeah. because of that yeah I Trek's an odd thing for me because I don't I, I, I feel the same way about it being from a different time but it never seemed like that was a barrier for me because yeah. Star Wars is very much part of the fabric of who I am, right? Like mm -hmm. that—that's it's a major impact on how I developed. And it's definitely—I mean, it's timeless because it does all these things. But it is—it was always until the prequels came out. It was always—it was like found footage. It was stuff that had existed previously. I. I mean, I had it on VHS tapes that my dad recorded off a of TV. That's yeah. how I yeah. watched it. Like, yeah. so <laughs> and all these weird edits because of commercials, right? <laughs> you know, and then like if you mistakenly press the record button during something, like you, you lost part of that film. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. to this day, part part of Back to the Future is always weird to see what actually happened because it was messed up on the tape I watched. <laughs> Most of the movies I watched as a child, like I didn't know how those movies started because my parents would be, turn on the TV. Oh, Back to oh, the Future! Hit record, but it would be like half an hour into the yep. movie. Like I had no idea for years how Teen Wolf started. <laughs> <laughs> like he was just already a werewolf, and I was like, okay, sure, let's go. Oh, you missed that great scene where he tells his dad, "Is like, you see this crap?" And his his dad's in. He's also a werewolf. Like, but I think I that's where it's, it was the, when they're at the party. Oh, okay. I think is where it started and he's like in the closet and like oh your fingernails and he runs home and he's all like that was for, for years where I thought Teen Wolf started gotcha. <laughs> that's it, it, that's something that Star Trek doesn't have to have that for me to enjoy it I don't have to have the thing that John does the thing that growing up with it gave me right but it's not the fervor that he because, has because even though I won't have that fervor I'll still enjoy it 
because the stories themselves are good enough and timeless enough right. and about, about humanity is good sci-fi is most sci-fi I won't say all good sci-fi because you know you can you can break the rules but that I don't you know the thing doesn't quite but it comes close and the Matrix don't don't stand enough stand stand alone on their stories well enough so that without that fervor I just don't get them you know that's yeah film films that the fervor is make or break for well in an effort to never miss that train again I'm now gonna go spend all my savings on movie tickets <laughs> oh, no, no that, would, yeah. that would be insanity <laughs> I'd go crazy unless you guys come with me <laughs> like the podcast a little experiment in insanity group insanity oh yeah well I think I think we've the results of the experiment is our yes we are insane and we're not going to oh, stop yes. <laughs> absolutely absolutely alright man that was a that was a good that was a long episode a lot yes, of sir. Yeah. a lot of we talked less about the Bond franchise than I thought we, we would we really did and there's just so much to talk it about is. and I'm, I doubt this will be the last Bond film that we discuss I don't intend it to be yeah mm-hmm. so uh, so next month I am so oh, excited for this one too. <laughs> Next month, uh, I'm picking, and we're watching Shin Godzilla. God, yeah. Uh, sometimes for a while, gonna be marketed in this country as Godzilla Resurgence, and then they decided, no, screw that, we're going with the actual title, Shin Godzilla. Which, don't know, don't go to sleep, computer. All right, thank you. Shin Godzilla is the most recent Godzilla film, the most recent Japanese Godzilla film, and interestingly. I hope I can find the phrase in here. The first Japanese Godzilla film in a long while. Yeah. I can't find the actual list here for years, but in, in quite a while. Which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, Godzilla doesn't have that something special for a lot of Americans that it does for Japan. It's a cultural icon, mm-hmm. touchstone for sure. But it's Godzilla is their character. So the fact that this is the first Japanese Godzilla in a long time is a big deal. I enjoyed the Brian Cranston Godzilla. Enjoyed it a lot. Like this one better. It's distinctly Japanese. Awesome. In a lot of ways. Well, we're, might yeah, be off-putting. We're going to have to talk but, about uh, Cranston yeah, Godzilla. We'll talk about Cranston Godzilla. Yeah. We'll talk about kaiju movies. We'll talk about Japan. But that's that's next. This is going to be so. a, f- a fun lead-up because I'm going to watch so much in preparation. <laughs> yeah. I'm psyched to write the theme for this one. Yeah, Godzilla <laughs> theme. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it'd be great. So yeah, if you'd like to join us in the join us join us in the conversation, as it were, <laughs> please go ahead and watch Shin Godzilla. If not, if you just want to hear us ramble on and spoil everything, join us anyway. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting through our. Uh, surprisingly wide-reaching episode about On Her Majesty's Secret Service. (laughs) And we hope you'll be back next month. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.